welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. How are you doing? Excellent. Especially because we heard from a listener with a very interesting topic to take up. It was our listener, Shariar, who pointed us to a very interesting Hacker News discussion of an article called You Don't Need a Stand-Up by a gentleman named Jason Palmer. I had actually already read it when you pointed me to this tweet, Jeffrey, and I thought, gee, this is really good material for us to look at. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I thought so too, because we uh, have been talking a lot about um, the Agile principles. And then to have someone come up who talks about one of the uh, some of the Agile practices that they've left behind uh, seemed like right, uh, right in our wheelhouse of sort of things to talk about. So I think it's a good, good topic. Indeed. And what people listening might be expecting us to say is we're going to argue against this article and we're going to say why you, we think stand-ups are awesome and everyone should have them. I think we might surprise them, right, Jeffrey? <laughs> well, it's true. And uh, the, the reason is, is uh, we could look at this a couple different ways. One is that we talked to, about the differences between uh, principles and practices. I think even when we looked back at sort of practices that we had left behind in one of our, our previous podcasts, uh, we we talked about that uh, distinction, and since this is his blog post is really against some of the agile practices rather than the agile principles, then I think there's less for us to uh, argue about uh, for, on that basis. And I think also the, the other one that's more fundamental though is we talk about applying this mutual learning approach, which is we should be curious and seek to understand uh, rather than uh, look at disagreement uh, uh, as a cause for battle. We should look at it as an opportunity for learning. And for joint design, we might come up with something better as a result of looking at someone else's point of view. That, that's right. So um, imagine that uh, you're uh, working with Jason uh, and uh, the author of uh, You Don't Need Stand-Up, and he comes in and says, right, I've decided that we, we should not have stand-ups anymore, and we should have no planning regular intervals, and we should have no retros, and uh, from now on, all meetings are optional. That's, that's the proposal I'm making. How are you going to respond to that, Scroll? And I have this kind of thing not infrequently, I'm not necessarily all four of those together, but certainly just two weeks ago, I had a client at which someone was trying to introduce stand-ups as a new practice, and someone in the team found them useless, said, this really isn't working for me. So my method was to inquire into why he thought that. So so Jason, why, why do you think that stand-ups aren't helpful? Uh, you know, what what uh, methods are working for you? How are you communicating with your team? I'm, I'm curious, and, and I'm asking these questions genuinely in order to find out, because you might be right. It might be that this works best for you. What what does work for you, I would ask him. Right. And from the article, we get some, uh, uh, some hints. He does share some of his uh, uh, experiences, although it's unfortunate on the one hand that he, he doesn't answer them. He doesn't sort of provide them directly the way you would talk person to person. Uh, instead, he sort of sets up a um, straw man of the super agile rock stars. <laughs> but he, he does said, oh, look, uh, I have problems because the Trello, the tools are, aren't kept in sync with what we discussed in the meeting. And uh, or he says, uh, I, I, uh, I think that standups are encouraging us to change plans daily. And that means that we don't we don't have consistency and it's ruining our developer flow. And of course, what I'd then be asking about is what effects that has on the business, because at the end of the day, we're supposed to create software for a purpose, and I'd be interested in what that purpose is. I, I think I picked up that he works at Spotify. Is that right, Jeffrey? Uh, I, I believe that's right. So we might ask, is this helping uh, Is this helping or hurting more people to listen to music? I would assume that's something like the Spotify mission. 
And he might say, well, yeah, if I can just concentrate on these projects uh, and look at how much we've been able to concentrate since adopting this uh, streamlined process, uh, I, we've been able to get tons more people listening to music by building feature X. I might take that as uh, uh, an accurate assessment of the state of the state of the world. I'd probably check that with some other people, though. I'd say, let's let's look into what actual listener numbers are. Um, who's some people who talk to listeners? Uh, are they complaining about quality in that feature? Are they uh, finding out that perhaps it's not as good as it could have been, or or not matching an, an advertiser's expect expectations? I, I would. Uh, verify some information that he might tell me, but I, I certainly would not dismiss it straight out of hand and say, well, on page 72 here, it says we're supposed to do stand-ups, so we, we should do them. I, I completely agree with what you're saying. And uh, it's interesting for me because I, I hear these statements and, and what I liked is you asked him about, well, can you tell me how that affects you? And so you're changing sort of blanket statements that, are, that seem to be claims about the world, like stand-ups encourage plans to change daily to say, well, can you tell me about the impact on you? Because he can say, well, I've had my flow ruin, like such as when. <laughs> uh, you know, that that would be data uh, from his experience. Mm -hmm. And we could match that with some other data that we might gather about the effect on customers or listeners or uh, salespeople or somebody from the result of well, before we were doing it this way and it had this result for others and now we're doing it this way. Uh, also other developers, product managers, QA people, others in the uh, more closely in the development team. Mm -hmm. One thing you mentioned is you do hear people say these kind of things when you come in. Um, do you come in with a set of practices and say, right, this is the practices that you need to be doing? I much more think about a tool belt. So I have a whole bunch of different things, some of them incompatible, and I know how to apply different ones at different times. So something I almost universally do is interview at least a sampling, if not everybody I can find who's affected by the development organization that I'm working with, or sometimes I'm working with non-development organizations like marketing or sales, I try to work with everybody who, or interview everybody who's affected. And I, I often ask them, uh, here's my magic wand. It happens to be broken at the moment. I hand them my pen, and um, you know it's not working right now. But I'm going to get it fixed. And once I get it fixed, when you when you wave it, what what will you change? You can just change one thing. And if they all tell me, hey, the worst thing is that we never know what we're doing, and we're always working on the same stuff and running into each other, and confusion reigns, and nobody seems to be coordinated, then that'll be a failure signal that will point me toward the idea that a stand up might be helpful. If, on the other hand, they say, well, the biggest problem is that uh, nobody understands what we're supposed to be doing. We can build great once we get it. That all works fine. Where communication is great. We're a small team. Everything works. But, gee, nobody can tell us what we're supposed to be doing. Then I'm looking for practices like Kanban or uh, better prioritization or uh, something maybe even outside the team about setting a vision. So I'm always looking for a failure signal, which tells me what practices might be helpful but I don't take action without one. I really like this idea, which is we're going to talk about what our experiences are and what's pr the problem that we're sensing, and then how do we change? Now, that sounds a lot like um, what we would normally happen in a retrospective uh, and in the Agile Manifesto, though it doesn't actually call for a, a retrospective. And even in the principles, it doesn't say retrospective. What it does say is that regular intervals, the team reflects on how to become more effective, then tunes and adjusts its behavior accordingly. So that's, it seems compatible, like you're talking about this sort of reflective practice. But of course, now if we talk to Jason, one of his rules is no retros. 
what's your response when you have someone say that? Like, uh, say you're in a relationship and it's going amazing. You should totally start going to couples therapy once a week, right? Of course not. So he's sarcastic when he says that, but but um, I think you and I have a different experience, but we might find something different if we had Jason here and asked him about his situation. For example, he might be holding things that serve the same purpose as a retrospective down the pub. And so when his team go out to have a beer every Friday, they talk about what worked and what didn't in the week. You, I would be surprised if there weren't some informal mechanism like that functioning on any team that is successful. But I'd be happy to hear about the first one. I just haven't found it yet. Right. I think, again, you're showing here the curiosity saying, well, okay, well, how are you learning about problems then? Uh, the things I, I would have learned in retrospective and that I value, you're saying, well, I'm, I'm open to help me understand how I get those needs met, not denying that you could get them met, you could have reflection without retrospectives. Mm -hmm. the, the, the technique of, of agreeing with somebody who has an idea that's different from yours is actually, or, or looking, searching for agreement is a very powerful one. We'll talk about that another time. There's some a whole bunch of techniques like that. But if you have in your mind, gee, I wonder what could I find out from this situation? This person who has a, a different view from me, my point of, uh, can I find some basis for agreement? That's a quite powerful mindset to take in. One of the things that you pointed out to me was in the Hacker News discussion, there was someone who responded to this uh, sarcastic question who said, um, should we should we totally start going to couple therapy once a week? Uh, actually, yeah, that way it stays amazing. So they, they sort of accepted what they were saying, uh, the, the um, straw man argument, but said, oh yeah, actually there, there is a reason why I would do this, um, so which, which I found interesting because it shows that, that different people are uh, valuing different things. Like there's a possibility for a good dialogue uh, here between those two people. And there were further comments below that one about uh, uh, couples who actually have what amounts to a stand-up. They have a regular interaction every day at which they address problems in their relationship. Now, some of us might say, gosh, that's so disciplined and so rigid that I could never do that in a personal relationship. Others do. Right. And I, I think this comes back to the idea that it's uh, it, it's really about what works for the group of people that you're with. I happen to have uh, just re-listened to our last week's episode. Uh, and one of the last things we talked about was um, an article from Alistair Coburn with a fantastic uh, title, which sounds completely non-humanistic, but it actually is, which is characterizing people as a first-order nonlinear component of software development. And the point of that article was uh, his experience, Alistair's experience of um, selling different things, of having sold tools and then found that people could ignore the tools and still be effective. And then uh, the, he sold methodologies and found people could ignore the methodologies and still be effective. And that actually what might matter are these humans running around and these, these people. And to go further with that is that every group of, of humans, like these are all individuals and it's going to be what will work will be a function of those individuals and the situation that you're in. And uh, if you can find something that works for that group in that situation, that's different from anyone else on the planet, that there's nothing wrong with that. You're, you're, you're meeting your needs there. And the opposite of that, which you and I were talking about with uh, uh, an editor from a publisher last week, is the notion that you should just get out the book and uh, have a one-size-fits-all solution and get certified in some particular technique and apply that technique regardless of the humans. That's the kind of thing that Alistair says he tried for a while and it didn't work. And I've seen it not work spectacularly badly. So the idea that you just say, well, everyone should have a stand-up 
is probably not going to work, even if it were actually the best thing, you're very unlikely to get internal commitment from the people involved. Um, Jason's article is a, a shout from someone who obviously has been um, har harmed by that kind of interaction, that kind of imposition. That's right. And he starts as much by saying that he had, up until January, been a developer who was upset at how many meetings he had. And so clearly, I think that he's uh, set up this experiment when he became a technical product manager and had the uh, authority to try something different than he was able to do it based on his experience saying, let's try some other other roles that I think might uh, work better for us and certainly would have, worked, would have worked better for me. His experiment starts from that sort of uh, firsthand basis. And it sounds like he has uh, in his, he, he believes he has a team where uh, it's all going all going well. And that's that, that question I have there about, uh, you know, he, he, he represents that it's all going well. Of course, we only have Jason's view on it. <laughs> and that's why I try to interview as many different people as I possibly can in a team to check, is this really going as the, as it appears is the problem I've been brought in to solve the actual problem more often than not, it's not. That's right, which, which is a very interesting uh, experience that people's perception of what things are going well and what things are not are not always wonderful. So I'm not in any way saying that uh, Jason's team are all uh, secretly uh, hating this. Like it could be it could be wonderful to be open and have the, the humility to say, well, I know my experience uh, um, and I don't know others is a useful frame of mind to have. Yep. And of course, we don't know to what degree Jason is interacting with the rest of his team and checking these things. He might very well be. A good question you asked when we talked about this as uh, in the setup was, uh, what, how, how would you know? So he doesn't tell us much about the, the alternative practices he's using for discovering whether this is working for the rest of the people in his team. They may be great. Maybe that time down the pub, everyone says, this is the most awesome thing ever. He talks to all the other people in the organization. They say, you're the most productive team. That would be great. But I think one thing that someone who was contemplating an experiment like, like this might like to bear in mind is make sure you have a way for you to actually know, not just to guess, not just to watch what people say or, or uh, how they behave, but also to ask them what they're thinking. Yep. I think the reason, the, one of the things we talked about this was useful to discuss was that it um, it lays out this idea that in some ways are, are you know, fairly straightforward and even, you know, known for their places. You could say this sounds a lot like the programmer anarchy uh, Fred George has been talking about for a few years. Why have such a large thread explode on, on Hacker News and, and various replies on Twitter? And I think it's because uh, the way the communication was laid out, uh, the way the blog post is laid out is rather than describing personal experiences, it sort of goes through the voice of straw men or blanket statements that people really can't follow. Now, one example was in the, the statement as uh, uh, extroverts thrive at standups planning retros. It's no wonder that tech debt is such a common problem. And then th what's the connection there? There's a, a, apparently an implication here that extroverts don't care about tech debt or that uh, developers are introverts or what. It's out there as a, as a statement rather than saying, for example, maybe I felt it was difficult to raise tech debt uh, as, a, as a concern the way we used to operate. Mm-hmm. And this way, I find it much easier because X, those specifics would be helpful. That's right. So the takeaway for listeners, and the reason I was very keen to discuss this is hopefully we talk about this idea of, of being able to, to talk to someone is we can predict that wherever you are working or wherever you're going to work in the future, you will have discussions like this and you will, you will have people who um, make strong claims about what you should or should not be doing. 
and they could be on any side of the agile debate. It could be they're very strong advocates of certain practices, because I've heard things very similar to Jason's article, very much in favor of certain practices, and they could be opposed to changes. It could be either side. Absolutely. And the real sting in the tail is you might be one of those people, and odds are you are one of those people, <laughs> given that the... And this is sort of a natural human way to um, to argue, which is just to generalize from our experience and then uh, share our conclusions without uh, ever talking about our own experiences overtly, without saying, well, this is this was my experience and this is what I value and this is what has led me to this position. And what do you think? And how could I learn from you? That's the, the key thing for me is to, to be curious as well as sharing your own uh, ideas. The notion from Roger Schwartz is uh, combining advocacy and inquiry. And that's what we really would, would, would hope to be the main takeaway from this, which is um, you can uh, have strong opinions. And it, uh, if you want to have a productive conversation, then uh, we recommend you, you do have a mutual learning approach and try to say, help people to empathize with you, share your experiences, and also be curious about theirs. So if you if you are the person who uh, finds standards a waste of time, then the sort of um, useful question you can say is, look, I've personally I've been finding it a waste of time. I'm curious how other people find it. What what have you valued about these conversations? And if we focus on our interests, is there a way that uh, we could get those uh, met that uh, would not be so interruptive of my flow, or that allow me to come in late, or that whatever it is that I would value from not having stand-ups. Let me put that forward, and then we can sort of joint design something that would meet everyone's needs. And to be clear, the joint design might wind up with things that aren't stand-ups. So it might be that the uh, other person says, well, actually, you know, the, I see that we are getting value from uh, these informal interactions that we're having, and the level of pairing we have means a lot of information is flowing. So what I'm okay with doing is a, a, a daily written summary that I'll write, and that'll help me keep track of what's going on. Then Jason might say, sounds great. You go do that. I'll keep pairing. So you could imagine ways of jointly designing lots of solutions that take into account everybody's point of view and everybody's needs rather than the, the dueling ladders kind of notion where you just stand at the top and shout at the other person without ever climbing down and having a conversation about what's underneath, what the causes are. Right. Only, only sharing your conclusions. We should have stand-ups. No, we shouldn't. <laughs> yep. Don't get very far with that kind of discussion, although it's on Sunday chat shows all the time. Not about stand-ups, but usually about immigration or um, nuclear weapons or something. Right, which is the way of saying the most visible sort of um, form of debate that people have in society is unfortunately not a very good one. <laughs> Certainly not applicable to cases where you need to cooperate on knowledge work. That's right. Makes sense. Well, you know what, Jeffrey? I, I just thought of something as we were talking. You're welcome to disagree with me. We could do some joint design on air. But uh, it occurs to me that uh, I, we were talking about what Jason might say. I'd be very happy to talk to somebody who had this point of view. So if any listeners have this point of view or a similar one or a very different one, strong point of view on one of these topics, I'd love to have them as a guest. What do you think? I think that'd be fantastic. We'd love to, to be able to talk to people and uh and hear their point of view and, and let also let them experience this kind of mutual learning conversation um, and talking to people who are can demonstrate real curiosity in their, in their position. So I think that would be, that sounds fantastic to me. Excellent. Well, thanks, Shariar, for uh, pointing us to this discussion. Thanks, Jason, for uh, posing a very interesting topic and, and something good for us to chew on. We'd love to talk to Jason, uh, anybody else in our audience who might have this kind of opinion. Uh, we'd love to invite you on the podcast and discuss it in the way we just did, um, being open to your views and maybe coming up with some ideas that we could share together. That's right.
Excellent. So uh, anybody who wants to get in touch, of course, if you just want to ask a question, uh, make a comment, that's troubleshootingagile.com is the place to go, and you can drop us an email. We do read Twitter, not always as reliably, but we did pick up uh, Shariar, so uh, feel free to use that as well. So uh, thanks, Jeffrey, and uh, we'll talk next week about something else interesting uh, uh, on Troubleshooting Agile. That's right. All right. Thanks, Coral. Thank you. Thank you.